0: You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jags Den Podcast, a.k.a. the flagship podcast for the Jaguars Wire which is brought to you by USA Today. That's JaguarsWire.USAToday.com. Of course, I am your host and managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, James Johnson, a.k.a. SportsGrind underscore Done, as you all know me on Twitter. And, uh, of course, you can feel free to follow our various Twitter handles, uh, the podcast at Jags Podcast, of course, Um, At the Jaguars Wire for the Jaguars Wire. And uh, of course, you can also follow my comrades who uh, weren't able to join me today. uh, The the usual host, Phil Smith uh, at Phil the Filipino and Jacob DeLawrence, who also contributes with the Jaguars Wire. That's at underscore Jadella. So. All of that said, uh, you can feel free to follow this episode and our archived episodes on iTunes. Most notably, uh, feel free to go on there and rate, comment, subscribe, uh, share with everybody, this, that and the other. Because because, of course, that's the most popular uh, podcast interface out there. And, you know, that'll help us climb the ranks up there as the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. You can also follow us on Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spotify. And uh, as well as uh, Radio Public Deezer, Uh, we're also on Audio Boom uh, with our comrades in general. The uh, wire sites, you can feel free to check them out as well under the USA Today network. And um, you can also feel free to follow us on Audio Boom, we're on there with our USA Today comrades. We basically have a whole network of uh, podcasts on there for each team, each wire site. And uh, probably for the Touchdown Wire and Draft Wire as well. So feel free to check that out and, uh, you know, check out our comrades as well with the USA Today Wire site. So all of that said, we're going to get right into uh, the topics at hand for today's show. And uh, first, we're going to start with, of course, I mean, with it being uh, it's actually Saturday afternoon, 32 p.m., Uh, July the 30th or July the 20th, excuse me. Uh, So that means training camp is on the horizon. It was announced earlier in the week that seven training camp days will be available to the public. And those seven days, of course, are the first seven days of training camp. Uh, Those being I'm pulling them up right now. Uh, Thursday, the upcoming Thursday, which is July 25th. Uh, Friday, July the 26th, Saturday, July the 27th. However, that date is only available to, um, of course, the media, but the season ticket holders as well. So that's a season ticket holder exclusive. Again, that's Saturday the 27th uh, for those of you who have season tickets, want to check out the team. And then they'll continue to practice on Sunday, July the 28th. That'll be available to the public. They'll be off Monday. And then to wrap it up, they'll be available to the public on Tuesday, July the 30th, uh, Wednesday, July the 31st, and Thursday, August the 1st. So, again, those seven dates are pretty much the first seven dates of training camp. As usual, you know, the Jaguars will be out there uh, doing their thing um, and, and practicing hard and also, you know, uh, giving the fans a show and, and, and interacting with the fans as well as they typically always do. Um, and in other News or other quick hits we got here, uh, the Jaguars signed supplemental draft prospect Marcus Sims from West Virginia University as an undrafted free agent. As all, um most know, uh, Sims entered the supplemental draft when undrafted. Uh, the Jaguars presented him. Uh, with the undrafted deal that uh, obviously he couldn't pass up or uh, he, he probably felt that, you know, he had a better chance to make the Jazz roster as opposed to some of the other deals he got out there. And um, yeah, I mean, they probably put some incentives in the deal too to kind of sway him. So uh, that being said, he will be uh, training with the Jaguars for training camp and to make room for that transaction. They waived slash injured undrafted receiver Dedrick Snelson of Central Florida. And uh, to my knowledge, he cleared waivers, so he'll revert back to their IR list so you know he can join the team uh, later down the road. So, uh, yep, that put the team at 90 men. Uh, Sims, 21 years of age, uh, like I said, went undrafted in the supplemental draft process. Uh, they checked him out at his pro day. Um, obviously, they, they liked what they saw out of him. It was several other teams, actually, that I reported on the Jaguars wire. I think 10 or upwards or somewhere around there so uh you know he was a guy that a lot of people checked out uh five foot 11 188 pounds a little bit of smaller frame if you will uh but you know if we've seen smaller receivers flourish especially with the J.R.s uh most notably D.D. Westbrook who's roughly you know the same size six foot uh zero roughly you know he's probably 200 and probably under that to be honest with you uh that being said you know he was Arguably the best receiver for the Jaguars. well no argument in it. He was the best receiver for the Jags last year. So as for uh, his statistics, uh, Sims hauled in 46 receptions for 699 yards and two touchdowns last season, which was 2018. He finished his collegiate career with a total of 87 catches for 1,457 yards and had eight touchdowns to his career. Um, He's also uh, he also returned punts and returned kicks, uh, racked up just under one thousand yards as a is it a a kick returner and as a punt returner he had one hundred and fifty seven yards no touchdowns to his name but uh, that's worth noting because you know probably what you're looking at at Sims is the guy that the Jaguars probably will be looking at as one of those back end receivers maybe at best you know if he can make the roster as five or as a number 6 guy alongside Terrell Pryor but you know when you're when you're at that part or, or on that um that back end of the receiver depth chart typically what teams are looking for is you know a guy that can play special teams return punts return kicks uh, you know be a gunner uh, make some tackles on a special teams so i think ultimately you know that explains them picking up Sims we'll see uh, how he performs and how he fares at training camp as uh, you know, me and uh, Phil, we've already discussed that we do want to be in attendance. That was another thing I forgot to mention when I was talking training camp. But me and Phil are looking at uh, going to some dates. Uh, I think for me, I'll probably go on uh, that Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. So those last three days, I would like to go on the opening date, you know, and provide you all with some opening date content or at least some live opening day content. Uh, From Twitter or, you know, whatever handles, uh, you know, all our social media handles in general. But, uh, yeah, it's looking like me and Phil will be going uh, on that Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. That being said, be on the lookout on the Jaguars Wire for uh, content on training camp as uh, it is a mere what six days away now. And uh, so, yeah, we're looking at under a week. And um, regardless as to, you know, if we're there live on the set with the team or not, we'll have plenty of content on training camp on the Jaguars Wire. Again, that's jaguarswire.usatoday.com. We'll have plenty of that on the Web and uh, on social media and and what have you. Um, Also, I mean, when you look back at uh, mini camp and and OTAs, you know, we did a pretty good job with uh, giving you coverage every day. During that process, we, we gave you all the um, the rundowns for every session in terms of OTAs. Those were well-received, so we would like to continue something like that for training camp and keep giving you all that quality content that you all have been looking for on the web concerning the Jacksonville Jaguars. So um, the last quick hit, Lot J, uh, Lenny Curry, Mayor Curry uh, came out to say, and this was last week, that they are verbally close to making um, an agreement. Malache, as most are aware, you know, uh, Shot Khan, this was something that he made a big deal of. And I mean, you know, a lot of people have been excited about it. And, and wanting to see it come into fruition, a five hundred million dollar project in totality. Of course, you, you would think, I mean, especially Jacksville, they're not going to pour all of that into it immediately. They'll do it in phases, you know, in steps. Uh, but basically what they want to do is just, you know, turn lot J into a, a area um, with a hotel. Um, there's going to be residential areas. There's going to be an office building. Uh, there also will be a, what's looking like will be what a quote unquote live venue and what those are is, you know, basically it's, think of it as the landing, you know, a place where people can converse during the game and whatnot with restaurants and, um, you know, shops and outlets and whatnot, that type of deal. For those of you who have been to the Atlanta Braves stadium, their new one, at least, uh, or should I say ballpark it's something like that. Basically the same company that, that built uh, the the surrounding to that stadium uh, Cordish companies, they are the ones working with the Jaguars on this situation. So think some along the lines of that since it's the same company that they're working with some along the lines of what the St. Louis Rams have surrounded their ballpark and the Texas Rangers who Cordish companies have worked with them too. Uh, so, you know, basically, it's just something to make Jacksonville or, or at least the stadium TIAA a bank feel a popping spot 24 seven. even basically when, you know, there's no football activity going on and kind of like, you know, what they're doing with Daly's Place. um, Just, you know, adding more activity alongside Daly's Place is look like what Shaq Khan is trying to do here. So we'll monitor that. Uh, throughout the process and uh we'll, we'll see where they at with the city council and all of that you know that n- typically it's not the easiest process to get down especially for a 500 million dollar process but again like i said they'll probably do it in phases um and you know they'll put x amount of dollars to the first phase and then go on from there so i mean that's a good thing to see as um you know as i said with the buffalo bill situation in the last podcast uh you know you You like to see the owner investing more money into the city. Uh, Therefore, you know, when it comes time to renew this lease and and the Jaguars are coming up on that time, uh, the Buffalo Bills are going through that right now. But when they wrap their situation up, figure out their stadium situation and figure out their lease situation, the league is going to turn to us, you know, and and, and, and because the Jaguars lease, I think, is up in roughly 2029 or something. So I think we're kind of next. On that list, of course, they always have associated us with relocation talks wrongfully. So anyway, and, uh, you know, the more projects that Khan does like like J and entrench his money and himself into the city, uh, the better for the longevity of the Jacksonville Jaguars and their, you know, their long term viability in the city of Jacksonville. So that was that on the quick hits. Uh, we will get right into the topics at hand. Really only have two topics to discuss this time around, um, we're going to talk about my personal optimism on the Jaguars offense, which is weird because typically I'm the one that's pessimistic on the Jaguars, while others are the ones that are, you know, more optimistic. So it's kind of vice versa this year. The fans aren't so much excited about the offense and, and optimistic, about the op- optimistic about the offense as I am. Uh, but we're going to talk about exactly why they should be or or they should be at least, you know, a little bit more optimistic when looking at this Jaguars offense. We'll also talk some Madden ratings. Of course, as you all know, Madden 20 will be out soon. The ratings came out earlier this week. Jaguars were rated at 79 overall. Is that too high or too low for them? You know, we'll talk about that in today's show. And we'll also look at the X-factor abilities that uh, the individual players were given. The Jags have two players with X-factor abilities on their team. And we'll talk about individual player ratings as well. So all of that said, let's get right into it with the Jags offense. As I said, you know, a lot of the fans, especially just looking at the feedback we've been getting, on social media and what have you, uh, especially on uh, the Facebook page, which is probably one of our most popping social media pages. But a lot of people just don't seem on the Jags offense. And I, I think I'll start by saying this. I think a lot of it is, and and it's not an issue that it is this way, but I think a lot of people uh, were Blake Bortles stands, that are Jaguar fans, and it's still not sitting well that, you know, they let him go. So that that might be part of the pessimism or the pessimistic side to this, why people aren't high on the Jaguars offense. And another thing that we keep seeing is basically a lot of the fans have come out to say, hey, you know, we don't have a marquee receiver. Marquise Lee, he's going to miss, what, two weeks in the training camp. Don't really have that guy even with Marquise Lee in in the equation. You know, he's not a guy we would exactly call a number one. Uh, so, you know, there's that as well. So, I mean, I could see why. And then, you know, they're coming off an of off season last year where, you know, the offense just looked putrid. Uh, but that being said, the reason I'm personally optimistic on this team is, of course, and I mean, a lot of people are well aware of this is for one, you know, personally, I've always thought and I mean, I think Jacob and Phil would agree with me here that Blake Bortles was a part of the problem for the offense as opposed to some others. And, I mean, there's some others that agree with us, too, as well, and especially in the media realm. So that, that being said, you know, albeit we don't know how much of an upgrade Nick Foles is, and I wasn't the highest on paying him what we did. Although, you know, there, there's much worse contracts out there to pay a quarterback. Uh, we're seeing what they're making by the year, and it just keeps inflating at a crazy rate. So they could have paid him much more. It could have been much worse. You know, they could be more. Uh, they could have tied more cap into him. So I guess I shouldn't complain from that perspective. But uh, that being said, though, uh, again, on Nick Foles, don't know exactly how much of an upgrade he is over Blake Bortles. But that being said, the slightest of an upgrade over Blake Bortles, in addition to what we already have with this offense, or should I say the defense, and, and you know, the, the Jaguars do have weapons on offense. You know, they they are. You know, if Nick Foles is what we saw, what, the past two postseasons and. Uh, the late in the regular season, the past two late regular seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, they should be able to contend for the playoffs. Not only that, but, you know, they should be viewed as Super Bowl contenders if that is the Nick Foles that they're getting indeed. So, you know, not the highest on Nick Foles, not the biggest fan of Nick Foles, but. What I saw from him late in the regular season, late in the postseason, it was impressive nonetheless, and I I think he does have talent, and I think he is an upgrade over Blake Bortles, and, you know, that in itself really helps his team, so, you know, there's that. There also is the fact that, again, and most of us are well aware of this, that the offensive line is coming back 100%. That didn't really help last year's issues, you know, of course, they had four guys ultimately in terms of the starters going on IR at the end of the day. It was A.J. can who was the lone standing member of the starting five offensive linemen, who was uh, the only guy that didn't go on IR. So, you had Andrew Norwell, Linder, uh, Jeremy Parnell went on IR, and Cam Robinson. So, all of those guys are back. Uh, Cam Robinson will be late into training camp, just like Marquise Lee will, uh, according to reports. So, we're thinking, what, like two weeks in the training camp, uh, but you know, you don't you don't want to rush him as he recovers from ACL surgery. As we all know, he sustained the injury week two against the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, that was from from that point on, you know, he was out for the season. So he'll be coming back. Uh, Brandon Linder and Andrew Norwell coming back. We kind of lost them mid season. Uh, you know, arguably the two best offensive line ain't no arguably in it. They are the two best offensive linemen in the uh, on the Jaguars roster. So they'll be back. That certainly has to help. Although, you know, they will be kind of using new schematics under John De Filippo. Probably will be using some zone blocking there. And most will argue they might not be a fit for that. So, you know, there's that to worry about. But in terms of health, offensive line will be back. And again, like that really didn't help to have basically four backups in front of Blake Bortles. And as I said, Blake Bortles already was an inconsistent quarterback as it was. He already with a healthy offensive line. I guess I would say he wasn't the guy in my honest opinion. I mean, we saw the inconsistency even in 2017, the year that got him the contract, you know, again, I've said this on the radio. I said it on this podcast on the airwaves of the public airways. But I mean, you look at 2017, he was inconsistent. Then the year that got him paid, you know, one one moment he was in Jacksonville struggling to put up so much as a first down against the Tennessee Titans and put up points or, or just generate any offense. Then the next week they go to London, he drops 44. So that was kind of just hard to for for the staff to just game plan around because they never knew what player they were going to get. So like, you know, if you're, you're Nate Hacking, and I feel a lot of, you know, Nate Hacking getting fired is on Blake Bortles. And that that inconsistency that he couldn't game plan for, you know, that certainly probably didn't help Nate Hackett's job. But if you're him and you're wondering week in and week out, which Blake am I going to get so I can even get to make a game plan, you know, that could cause a problem in itself. But, uh, you know, that's neither here nor neither there. But as I was saying, you know, uh, you add in all of those factors, you know, the offensive line, pretty much wiped out you have a quarterback that isn't the answer even with the offensive line the starting offensive line uh, you have a quarterback that isn't the answer behind those backups and you know you're just in a world of trouble at that point and I mean it it reared his head it showed and then also yeah of course Leonard Fournette missed half of the season so you know he's the offense's number one weapon previously in 2017 they led the league in rushing so that also uh, didn't help as well. So all of those guys are coming back. It, the offensive line, Leonard Fournette is back. Albeit, you know, history says Leonard Fournette isn't going to play a whole season, but at least they'll have him to open the season. You know, they'll have a clean slate. They'll have all of their guys back uh, in front of Nick Foles. So Nick Foles will have better circumstances than Blake Boles, uh, than Blake Bortles ended the season with, so to speak. So that's a positive and, and like I said, I think one of the things with the fans is especially they look at the receiving core. They don't see a Nook Hopkins or, you know, they don't see one of these number one guys, Antonio Brown or Juju Smith Huster in in this in in the group. And that concerns them. And rightfully so. I can understand that. Um, but I mean, when, in my opinion, I'm a little bit more higher on the receiving core than others, because I know I, when you look at it. So they have D.D. Westbrook who was no slouch last year, okay? He absolutely uh, decimated teams from the slot, although I guess you could say they were coming from behind in a lot of games. But, you know, he he had a lot of success from the slot. And Didi Westbrook is a guy that Jazz got in the fourth round. But, you know, he really was a first-round talent. And it's showing, in my opinion. Like, it's no coincidence that he was their best receiver last year. So you got a guy in D.D. Westbrook who just dominated from the slot and who dug Farrar of Touchdown Wire, my comrade, basically putting in the article that he was, what, the 11th best slot receiver in football. Uh, so, you know, you got a guy that, you know, that's a, a great weapon for Nick Foles to come into this equation and have. And he's coming off of that year where he, you know, he had a good year. So the momentum is certainly there. So uh, you have him leading the way for the receiving core, even without Marquise Lee. So there's that, a, a guy that was – you know, drafted in the fourth round that has first round talent who's only gonna get better uh helping out Nick Foles. So you got that coming into the mix. You have DJ Chark, who I get it. A lot of people weren't high on him. He struggled in his rookie season, but like really can you hold that against him? Like how many receivers you know in their rookie season come out and light it up exactly? Albeit, you know, it was a little underwhelming for him and he, you know, he had a lot of issues going on. It was the injury There were also the drops, the fumbles, uh, he had penalties. But that's just a rookie being a rookie. And a rookie, especially in his situation where the offense is decimated with injuries, just trying to do too much and step to the plate and be a playmaker. That's all that was. He was just trying to live up to his second-round status, which a lot of people, you know, Dave Caldwell came out to say, they drafted or they they graded him as a first-round pick. So that was a guy that was just trying to do too much. But when you look at DJ Chark, you know, the signs are there that DJ chart can be good. He did have moments in the regular season where he flashed most notably, you know, it was the deep ball from Kansas city that he got or it might, I mean, he had, I think he had like two moments like that, but he, he showed up as a deep threat for the team, which is what the team is expecting of him. Uh, You know, when he f- lives up to his potential, they, you know, they think he can be a guy that can get them huge chunks of yardage. And you look at him as a a player in terms of practice, like the signs were there in practice. He killed it last year in training camp with Cody Kessler with Cody Kessler. I mean, that in itself is, (laughs) that's kind of crazy to say, like the guy was out there lightening up with a backup quarterback who couldn't even really move the ball in the regular season. So, he he was a guy that you could argue was probably maybe the MVP of training camp last season. And it's translating to this off season in the summer and mini camp OTAs. You can argue that DJ chart was the MVP of that phase. And it wouldn't surprise me if he kills it in training camp as well, continues uh, where he left off and, and, you know, and, and uh, start connecting with Nick Foles and, and be the guy that, you know, we look at in training camp and be like, Hey, this guy balled out this whole summer. So, I mean that in itself, like, is alarming to me. That says that, you know, he has shown the ability. It's kind of like DeAndre Hopkins; he's shown the ability to adapt to whatever quarterback you put in in front of him, essentially, which is a great trait to have. I'm not saying he's DeAndre Hopkins, but that trait in itself is a great trait to have. That that shows the degree of talent this young man has, in my opinion, personally. And I think DJ Chart could explode onto the scene especially with better quarterback play, as I said, behind center. I think he could explode onto the scene in 2019. So I'm a little bit higher on him than some others. And for crying out loud, once again, like I said, he was he was drafted in the second round. So, I mean, clearly the talent is there. So there was also Chris Conley, who you can argue, you know, looked like probably could be the MVP as well, just like Chart was of this summer. And again, I get it. You don't have to tell me that there weren't any pads on, this, that, and the other. I'm a journalist of, what, eight years? I know we got to see what this team can do with the pads when the pads go on. But all I'm saying is, you know, some of the things we saw in summer definitely could translate to when the pads go on because, simply put, a lot of it was tied to probably, you know, inconsistency at the quarterback. You know, now you get somebody that throws a consistent ball that has good ball placement, and all of a sudden the receiver's... I mean, it's not it's not a, a shocker that all of a sudden the receivers are start starting to flash. You know, now that the ball placement is better, there's consistency at the quarterback, Um, this, that and the other. And then you even hear a guy like A.J. Boye admit that, hey, like, you know, we haven't been able as DBs to make the same plays on the ball that we previously had. And A.J. Boye, although he struggled a little bit last year, he dropped off a little bit. He's still no slouch. Make no mistake about it. He's still one of the league's best corners. So you have him come out and say, like, hey, the, this receiving core and this offense and Nick Foles, you know, these guys are putting it on us basically in a roundabout way is what he said. I mean, and, in fact, they've left concerns, the receivers and Nick Foles have, that the Jaguars may need to go pick up a guy like, say, a Eric Berry uh, to to boost the secondary, at least that sec um, the safety spot, because they're a little young back there with Rod Wilson, and uh Ronnie Harrison. So, you know, the basically the receivers beat up on them so bad to the point where people have concerns that the Jaguars may need to add a safety before training camp begins. whether that's like I said, I guess Glover Quinn, he uh retired according to Phil. He told me that I missed that in the news, but you know, like a you know, they might people are saying they might need a Eric Berry or a, um Trey Boston from I, I think that's the young man's name from uh Arizona. So that being said, you know these guys have the momentum going into training camp, and we'll see if that ultimately translate. But one last thing that has me a little bit optimistic on this receiving core, at least more optimistic than others, is the fact that you know while the Jaguars front office has its flaws, and we've lit into them on the Jaguars wire. I mean, we call it as it is. That front office has struggled, you know, and there's some things that they've done, and they've made some costly mistakes. That being said, one thing that I don't think we can question is their ability to scout receivers. I mean, you look at Dave Caldwell's history with receivers. Even when he was with Atlanta, you now he was the guy that reportedly, according to reports, put together and compiled the trade to get Julio Jones. You would think, you know, as Thomas Dimitrov's second man, he did a lot of the scouting on Julio Jones as well. So this man knows receivers because I mean, clearly, as we all know, Julio Jones is a top one, two, or three receiver, however you view him. Most would even say top, the number one. But, I mean, Julio Jones is killing the league. So you look at that, uh, and that that just shows that, Dave. I mean, and like it's not like Julio Jones was this talent that you you obviously couldn't see would be good in the NFL, I guess. I mean, it was obvious that he was going to be a star, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But you also look at, like, Allen Robinson, who, I mean, albeit Dave Caldwell didn't do what was necessary to keep him. In Jacksonville, he did scout him and bring him onto this team, and he translated. Allen Robson translated into a very good receiver, probably can be a good receiver with the Bears as well. So all I'm saying is while he didn't keep Allen Robson, he at least had the eye and the talent and the, the, the ability as a scout to see that he would be a good receiver. So nonetheless, I mean, the Jaguars haven't really struggled with finding receivers under Dave Caldwell. They've had struggles everywhere else. But at the receiver spot, that's not really an area I'm concerned about, you know, his knowledge of because he's proven at least at that position to have a good track record with it. He got Alan Hearns as an undrafted guy. You know, that was a steal, a diamond in the rough right there. So that is one area I won't question Dave Caldwell, in, as well as I won't question Tom Coughlin, who I've been critical of, especially in the front office. But when you look at Tom Coughlin's track record with receivers, Back in the day, you know, when he was running things with the Jaguars as the GM and as the coach, he brought in Keenan, brought in Jimmy, and he had the the eye to scout those guys, you know, as, as free agents and bring them into the, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars organization and make, I mean, no doubt, what nobody would doubt is the best receiving tandem in the franchise's history. So you look at that, he has a good track record with bringing him in as a GM. He has a good track record of coaching them. Look at what he did with the Giants. Hakeem Nicks, Victor Cruz, Mario Manningham. You know, they had a nice little trio going dur- during uh, that Super Bowl run. And they also, Odell Beckham, working with him and making him an uh, elite receiver, especially he's been very good after the catch over the course of his career. So, make no mistake about it, you know. Uh, While Tom Coughlin has his flaws, the receiver department is an area that he, just like Dave Caldwell, has flourished in scouting and coaching as well. So, I I mean, the crazy thing about it is, like, people praise Tom Coughlin for being kind of a quarterback whisperer when the fact of the matter is he, I mean, his track record with receivers is better than quarterbacks, you know? So, I mean, in this case, that's a good thing for the Jaguars, I mean, because obviously, we're talking about this because the receiver area is an area of concern. And um, I think, you know, just all of that, you know, his knowledge of the position and Dave Caldwell's knowledge of the position basically puts the Jags in good hands, in my opinion. So I guess ultimately time will tell. Like I said, training camp's coming up in under a week. We'll be there covering it with Jacob as well. Hopefully he'll be able to join us like he did um, last year. And, you know, we'll we'll be definitely watching that position and how they fare at the receiver, the receiver position, because coming into the mix, you know, they have momentum, they look very good in OTAs, they look very good at mini camp, and, uh, you know, nonetheless, you know, that's going to be a key department for the Jags, it says, heading forward, especially under new offensive coordinator, John Filippo. So next we're going to get into the Madden ratings, as I said, for Madden NFL, 20 Jaguars were rated a 79 overall. And I'm going to pull up the list real quick. I think that makes them like seventh, the seventh worst team, if you're going from the bottom. So we got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep, exactly. It was the seventh worst team with a 79 overall, and they were rated at 82 on defense, a 71 on offense, which probably hurt their average, that 79 overall. That probably is what hurt them the most. So, you know, of course, a lot of Jaguars fans have been up in arms about it, uh, including myself. I think I didn't think Madden graded them fairly or well on this equation. But the thing about Madden is, as of lately, the last eight years, their rating system has been kind of critical. So, I mean, a lot of teams aren't where they should be. I mean, you look at the overall ratings, right? I mean, you got the the Patriots as an 87. You know, back in the day, they easily a 90 easily a 90 the Packers are 87 back in the day they you know by the grading scale they used back then easily would have been a 90 so now they the Madden is just I don't know exactly how they do this but all I do know is you know the grades are super critical regardless of what team you are but that's especially a case for the team a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars who you know are kind of one of the lesser known teams even in 2017's run you know a lot of people didn't know a lot about them. So that being said, in terms of the overall rating, I think the Jaguars definitely could have been higher. I would say I'm looking at the list in here. You know, they got the Broncos at 81. You could have easily put the Jaguars there, especially with Nick Foles. Like, what's the difference in the teams? They got veteran quarterbacks that, you know, in that 30-year-old age range and Flacco and Foles who, you know, Are probably pretty much on the same level. I think Foles is probably a little bit better than Flacco. They both got elite defenses, and they both got questionable offenses. You know, (laughs) so I don't understand how they're not rated up there with the Broncos. At least on this rate, this this rating scale, you can argue that the Broncos would be higher too. But again, uh, Madden's kind of critical. Then you see like the Ravens, eighty-one. Let's keep going up here on the list. The Seahawks 81, Titans 81. Yeah, you can look at a lot of these teams and say, hey, they could have been better. But the Jaguars at least should have been in that 81. You got the 49ers at an 83. Jags could be in that range somewhere, even on on this scale that Madden uses. So I mean, it is what it is I guess. And I mean, the the good thing about it is now with video games in the video game community is like you have downloadable content. So over the course of the regular season, of course Madden will update ratings and the Jaguars, of course, can uh, climb the rating scale over time in the regular season. But to start off the game, uh, they weren't done any favors, so to speak. So I look at that rating, that 79 overall, and I scratch my head. But uh, it is what it is for right now. Um, the 71 on offense, like I said, that really hurt them. That's Even that's a little low for the Jags, in my opinion. Last year... Yeah, sure, if you're looking at last year, you know, they struggled mightily. But a lot of that, again, was because of the injuries that decimated the offensive line. Four guys on IR from the starting offensive line, Leonard Fournette out for, what, half of the season. That year wasn't telling of what the Jaguars really are on offense. You go a year back after that in 2017, even with the inconsistency of Blake Bortles, you know, they were a respectable offense much better than the 71 so I think like Madden should have graded them off of what they would have been as a healthy unit and I think what they did is they they did the, the complete opposite they graded them and rated them off of last year when they were decimated with injuries but again with downloadable content you should be able or we should see an increase in that if the Jaguars offense is serviceable and they could be what you know we think that will be now as for the individual ratings and i guess i'll start by before i even get into that talking about the x-factor abilities now they're bringing these abilities back into the game and i say back into the game because if i recall and i haven't played or owned a Madden in like roughly five years i kind of took a break from it especially when like i said when the rating system kind of got a little bit more critical but um that being said, they did used to have like X-Factor players, if I can recall back in the day. Don't know like how long ago that was, but they're bringing it back. And the Jaguars have two X-Factor players who uh ironically are their two top rated players and Jalen Ramsey, who's a 96 overall, and Calais Campbell, who's a 92 overall. If I'm not mistaken, th- those were their ratings from last year as well. So uh, they didn't decline. They didn't necessarily um increase in the ratings there, um, which I guess you could say that's a good or a bad thing. But they'll have the X-Factor abilities for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm sure it might be teams with more X-Factor players. But uh for now, we'll just say you can have up to two at least based off the Jaguars X-Factor players per team. So for Jalen Ramsey, he has a shutdown X-Factor ability. And I'm reading it off of Jaguars wire here, which uh, that basically allows him to provide tighter coverage than others and snag interceptions during contested catches uh, to activate it players will need to force two incompletions with Ramsey or pick off a quarterback in other words you probably need to get a user pick and um for the opposition to deactivate that x factor ability they will need to gain at least 30 offensive yards after the ability is triggered now for Calais Campbell His X-Factor ability is called the Unstoppable Force ability, uh, which will allow him to shred blocks quicker, uh, regardless as to how a player chooses to rush with Calais, uh, the quarterback, or, or rush the quarterback with Calais. Uh, once the ability is activated, Calais, he'll basically win most of his one-on-one matchups, if not all of them. Um, but that's only while the X-Factor ability is activated. So to uh, activate it, the user will need to get a total of two sacks with him, two user sacks. They say three in competitive gaming uh, or competitive games, a.k.a. when you're playing against a friend. And then two it, opponents will need to gain 10 yards on the offensive end. So that's some interesting stuff there. You know, those are kind of some game changer abilities that can help help. If you will kind of change the the tide of the game or change the momentum of the game. If you're down or even if you're up, you know, it can help you maybe even increase the lead or, or get a crucial sack that you need to close the game or whatever the case may be a crucial pick in Jalen Ramsey's case. But that is interesting to say the least. I'll definitely uh, be looking into that and, and looking for gameplay on it. And if I find some gameplay with the Jaguars and the X factor abilities, I will be putting that on the Jaguars wire for you all to view and, uh, you know, see what we looking like in terms of uh in terms of the, the actual gameplay in itself with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, So in terms of the player ratings, uh, from top to bottom, and I'm just going to name all of the, I think it was the top 17 that I put on the Jaguars wire, and I'm going to stop with 17 because that's where basically Nick Foles is ranked. He's he's the 17th rated, highest rated player on the Jaguars. So starting from the top 96, as I said, Jalen Ramsey is the highest rated player on the roster, as well as the highest rated cornerback in the game. So that's a Nice little tidbit to have by his side. And not only that, um, you know, he was just three points away from the 99 club, which a lot of people will argue he should have been, or at least closer to it, maybe 97, 98-ish. But, I mean, like, when you're a 96, it's not really that much of a discrepancy between you and the players in in terms of the gaming mechanics, in my opinion at least. And, again, I haven't played a Madden in forever, but at least the last I've played Madden – it's not that big of a discrepancy between the 96 and those that you see in the 99 club, in my opinion, but that's just me. Uh, Calais Campbell was rated in the 92, as we already discussed, AJ Boye, 88, Telvin Smith, 88, as we all know, he's going to be taking the season off. At least, you know, that's what it's looking like right now, but he's still in the game nonetheless, because they haven't put him on the retired list. Uh, Brandon Linder and Andrew Norwell with an 86 and 85 respectively. Um, so those are two offensive linemen right there to keep in mind that are over the 85 or, you know, at the 85 rating level, which, you know, you can maybe run the ball well with if, by going between those guys with Leonard Fournette. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, 84, uh, I guess I'll stop there real quick. He got snubbed, in my opinion. I think that's where he was last year, or he might have been an 82, but it was somewhere in that ballpark. He definitely should have been higher. By comparison, like I said, you're looking at guys like, A.J. Boya and Telvin Smith, who got 88s, I think Ngakwe probably could have been there maybe in the 87 range by this grading scale, this rating scale, at least in my opinion. But I think uh, think Madden really held his abilities against the run against him, although he was better against the run than people give him credit for, at least in 2018. So I think he should have improved a little bit or had a better rating. Uh, But yeah, he's one of the guys that stand out to me as a guy that could have been rated better in this game um miles jack is below him 83 leonard Forneta, 81 you know leonard might complain with that but at the end of the day like you miss eight games you miss what four before that so or, or roughly four before that so i mean uh, availability is the best ability and i guess in his case they can't really find the proper rating for him because he's he's not been on the field so i mean we i I don't see why fans would complain with that or he would complain with it, but yeah, that's neither here or neither there. Marcel Darius had an 80 got absolutely just snubbed there. He definitely should have been along the lines of, I think, at least 85 with Linder and uh, Norwell, that 85, 86 range. But I don't understand as to why, you know, he's rated that low, especially, At the nose tackle position, he played some quality football for the Jags last year against the run and as a pass rusher. So I don't understand his rating. Maybe, you know, they'll have some evaluators come out and maybe change it. You know, EA is down the road in Orlando, so, you know, they can send guys like that to Jacksonville. But I guess we'll see. And by comparison, look at this, man. Marquise Lee is an 80 at the wide receiver position. So, like, you mean to tell me, like, Marquise Lee is on the same level as a player as Marcel Darius? Uh, I don't get that personally, but again, you know, Madden is weird when it comes to this stuff. Uh Josh Lambeau, seventy nine overall, DD Westbrook seventy nine overall, should have probably been in that eighty to eighty two range in my opinion, because he made significant progress as we talked about as a receiver last year. Uh Jake Ryan with a seventy eight, Josh Allen with a seventy seven. We talked about him on um, the article about the rookie ratings, which were revealed before the player ratings, the, the veteran ratings, if you will. Uh, Keelan Cole, 77. And then, like I said, the last but last, certainly not least, Nick Foles with a 77, who probably should have been. That's another issue I got with this is Nick Foles at least put him in the 80s, at least where Darius is or put him in that 81 to 82 range somewhere um based off I mean what we've seen him do in the end of the regular seasons for the Philadelphia Eagles Eagles the past two years and in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl he you know he's worthy of better than that at least if you're basing it off his last two years of play but there you have uh all of the ratings and you know my takes on who were who was kind of snubbed. In terms of um the attributes, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit here. We'll we'll hit the speed tab here and see who's the speediest player. Uh DJ Chart, no surprise there. Uh 94 overall. DD Westbrook was right behind him with a 93 overall. And then they have Zedrick Woods who we got that's the safety we got undrafted out of um what is it? Ole Miss this year. Uh, went to school like seventy miles away from the Jaguars facility at uh Lake City, if I'm not mistaken. So he's, you know, Florida native, but he was rated a ninety-three. And I think that's fair because I think he ran like a four three at the combine. He was one of the fastest guys there. Chris Conley with a ninety two notes prize there. Uh he maybe could have been one point higher or two points higher, but that's that's roughly about what you would expect. Fournette with the ninety-two. Uh that's you know, I mean Fournette is he has Speed, good speed for his size, but I think he's more of an acceleration guy. And then you got 92 for Jalen Ramsey in the speed department. So in terms of the acceleration, let's see what we got here, who, who's the top rated in that department. AJ Boye has the highest acceleration in terms of attributes with a 94. DJ Chart got a 93 behind him, Ramsey with a 93. And then um, some some unknown guys, if you will, Breon Borders and kind of well i guess you could say Cody Davis is kind of unknown an unknown guy in the backfield there they both got 92s agility in terms of the agility let's see here we got DD Westbrook leading the way with the agility 94 in that category DJ Hayden as a nickelback that makes sense that they gave him solid agility 93 Marquise Lee with a 92 Quentin Meets with a 92 AJ Boyer with a 91 it makes sense that all of these guys Uh, You know, Trey Herndon, 91 are cornerbacks. Typically, you know, those are the guys that lead the way in agility on this game. And then lastly, strength, definitely, as I expected, Marcel Darius with a 94. Taven Bryan, surprisingly, still got that 93 from last year that he had as a rookie, which is higher than Calais Campbell, who's the next man with a 92. So that's what it's looking like in terms of the attributes Cannot wait for Madden to come out. This is the first one, like I said, I've owned in about or I will own. I haven't even pre-ordered it yet, but it's the first one I have or will own in the past about five years. So I'm kind of excited about it and to see the new features, the new X Factor features. Um, I think I know last year they had the whole thing where you can come out of high school or college. I think this year is college that you can, uh, you can be a college prospect and get drafted. So I'll definitely be checking that out as well. But nonetheless, um, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily like to talk about Madden in terms of connecting it with the actual real football realm. But nonetheless, Madden is such an important part of football. I mean, for crying out loud, like millions of people play it. But I just felt the need to talk a little mad because, believe it or not, a lot of our readers uh, are Madden players and, you know, give my takes and shoot my shots on that. So that being said, we're going to wrap it up here for episode. I think we're at episode 43. Don't quote me on that. Uh, at this point, they're all running together. <laughs> but um, feel free to check us out. As I said earlier in the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Tune In Audio Boom with our comrades on the USA Today Network Uh, We'll have this episode up there for you to look at and many, many others um, leading up to this point. Hopefully we can get Jacob and Phil in on the next episode. Uh, We'll probably try and do one in two more days. Like I said, with training camp coming up, we need to get more frequent with this. I'll get with Jacob and Phil on that. And again, like I said, we're going to try and uh, give you some live training camp coverage. Me and Phil and hopefully Jacob as training camp nears. um, And that will be once again on Thursday. So. All of that said, we're going to wrap it up for the Jazz Den Podcast. And until next time, everyone be safe.